It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I am thrilled that you are tuning in. We are continuing our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, last week, we covered only one verse. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm one of those long-winded preachers who just goes on and on. But as you recall, if you were listening last week, you know that we spent a lot of time as we were setting up this very powerful study on spiritual gifts. Now, this is a very divisive subject. So my intent here is just to go through the scripture in great detail. I mean, just really cover it verse by verse. Go through this of 1 Corinthians 12. Of course, we have uh, really this break in the middle of giving us a better understanding of agape love in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and I know that we need a lot of love right now. That's, that's a really a powerful statement of understanding what agape love is, a very selfless, self-sacrificing kind of love that is modeled by our Savior. And then we have 1 Corinthians 14, in which we'll go through a great deal on the subject of tongues. And tongues has divided churches for years, unfortunately. So we're just going to spend some time going through what the Bible has to teach us on these subjects, very vital subjects. And we've even heard of this term called cessationism, uh, this idea that, that spiritual gifts have ceased, that somehow we can have the Holy Spirit and not have gifts. And so we just want to cover this to what does Scripture really tell us about this? So that's why we spent all that time on just one verse last week. So if you missed any of our prior studies, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll find an archive of our video messages as well as an archive of these radio programs and our podcast there, calvaryfountain.com. So let me just recap what we read of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And then we'll jump into the, the these following verses here. I mean, we've got a, just a few verses we'll cover again here today and really go deeper in this study. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. That's the first statement right out of the gate here. So now concerning helps us understand here that Paul is responding to another question from the Corinthian church. And it's worth noting that the word gifts is in italics. That's a key uh, issue here, uh, because that means it wasn't in the original text. It would read then, now concerning spiritual, or to be spiritual, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So we go back to the Greek lexicon on that, and you can see it for yourselves of pneumatikos, spiritual, is rendered spiritual gifts, spiritual persons, or even spiritual things, and that means the gifts and persons were so closely connected in the Corinthian Christian mind that Paul used the word spiritual to imply both, that it's both gift and person. So the baseline takeaway from that is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're being a spiritual person. You have a gift, and therefore it's inextricably linked. You cannot separate the one from another. You cannot have the Holy Spirit and not have the work of the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is going to equip you for the work that God has prepared for you. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we're told, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Okay, so let's go on to verses 2 to 3. We'll pick up here verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what you're going to see here is that Paul is going to discuss now three different responses to Jesus Christ. So, so Paul is clarifying those who possess the Spirit and those who do not. So before we can even talk about spiritual gifts in this whole conversation of what the Holy Spirit does through us, we need to first distinguish the fact of those distinguishing those who have the Holy Spirit versus those who do not. Because there can certainly be the appearance of being a spiritual person, that externalism that we talked about through the Pharisees, the scribes, in, 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 during the whole time in which Jesus Christ was preaching, even during the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's surrounded by individuals who looked very spiritual, put on a good front. They had uh, fulfilled their letters of their own laws, the thousand-plus laws they had added at that time to the original 613 ordinances of the Torah law, and, and they were living out those o- obedience to their own laws and looked very spiritual, and yet they would not recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. Therefore, they had not the Holy Spirit. So here, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 12, we read, You know that when you were pagans... Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. (laughs) I love that he adds that word in there, mute idols. Not just idols, even. Uh, These idols couldn't even speak. Uh, So here, uh, let's look at these uh, three different ways here. Three different responses, if you will, to Jesus Christ. Uh, so, So many of these Corinthian believers had been pagans. And you get that, you pick that up right away. You know that when you were pagans, these Gentiles, they had worshipped various idols that could not speak or even help them. And we do that even today. So this is a common description throughout the scriptures for idols. There's a a mocking of the fact that they will carve out something and then worship it. And we see that in Isaiah 42 and 45, Jeremiah 10, Habakkuk 2, amongst many other scriptures. So some had been enticed by idol worship before they were Christians. And others even just flat out rejected Jesus Christ. And now we pick up here verse 3 part A of that. It says, therefore, I want you want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. No one who has the Holy Spirit can say that. So a second response to the rejection of Christ by those who will not accept him as the Messiah, they will refuse to acknowledge that he is Lord. Okay, so that was a rejection from the Orthodox Jews who refused to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the final response here is found in part B of 12.3. Here's what Paul says, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is God. So in the context of the Jewish world in the Old Testament, this confession essentially affirmed that Jesus was God. I was counter to the culture to say something like that. I mean, in fact, as a citizen of the Roman Empire, they were required to declare that Caesar is Lord. But, but Corinthians, who were now were professing Jesus Christ, who believed that Jesus was the only Lord, couldn't say that. So they really had a challenge to their faith. They had to declare either Caesar was Lord or Jesus is Lord. So the expression of Jesus is Lord can be understood objectively, i.e. that that, that Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe, or subjectively, i.e. that Jesus is my master. 
Now, Paul applies the term uh, kurios, kurios to, to Christ. He says this no less than 220 times, and that means Lord. Okay, so the Greek version of the Old Testament translated of, of Yahweh God as kurios of Lord is I- interchangeable. So it wasn't just a term of his authority or equivalency with God the Father is sort of sort of a, a subjective or lesser than, but equivalent to. It was the equal with the Godhead. So if you said Lord Jesus to the Greeks, you were saying God Jesus or El Isus, the supreme God. So Paul's point is in all of this is that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except those who have the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is working through them that they can now declare against the ways of the flesh that Jesus is God, okay, according to John 6, 44 and Acts 10, 44 to 48. So if you have any doubt of whether or not you have the Holy Spirit, then I would challenge you right now, if you need to, roll down the window while you're listening to this and say, Jesus is Lord, and say it with some fervor, with some passion, that you can declare without reservation that Jesus Christ is God. Okay, he wasn't just a good man and a prophet. He is God. Even when he calmed the wind and the sea, there was a, a, a visual demonstration of his godship. That is something that was reserved only for God to do. No man can control the wind or the sea. That was something only God could do. And so Jesus was declaring, even in those actions, just like he healed the leper, only God healed the lepers. And we see that from Leviticus chapter 14 that the priest would have to identify a miraculous work that no man could cure leprosy. Only God did that, and they had to declare it that this was a work of God. That's why he healed the leper as he did right after the Sermon on the Mount. And then he speaks to the wind and the waves. He calms them down. That was a work that only God could do. It's a supernatural act then by way of the Holy Spirit working through you, that you now a vessel for the Holy Spirit, a temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians 6, can now declare something that is truth, that is only truth, that is above and beyond all that we could say or imagine. It is declaring that Jesus is God. And that's why it was so pivotal for Thomas to declare, my Lord and my God when exclaiming the evidence of Jesus' hand inside is recorded in John chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. That was a ripple in time to all doubters that Jesus is the only Lord, and this confession is critical to salvation. You see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. That's a declaration. We see the thief on the cross do the same thing as he declares Jesus is Lord, asking that he would even allow him to, as we see that the thief will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus, to remember him. And Jesus declares, this night you will be with me in paradise. I mean, this is is powerful stuff when you really see this. So why does Paul bring up these three responses to Christ? He does so to refute the claims of those Corinthians who assume 
that they had possessed the Spirit, while in fact they were denying Jesus simultaneously, giving in to idolatry and even cursing Jesus. How can you then declare that you're a Christian when your words or even your actions declare the opposite? That is not the work of the Holy Spirit. So as he, as we had discussed all of this a few weeks back when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no one can serve two masters, according to Matthew 6, 24 and 1 Kings 18, 21. So either you're with Christ or you're against him, according to Matthew 12, verse 30. So Paul wants all of the readers then to understand that salvation is the great leveler. Okay, so every member of the Corinthian church who is trusted in Christ is now indwelt by the Holy Spirit and is incredibly valuable to God. So this is also true in our church today. If you have believed in Christ, it is because God did a supernatural work in your life. And if you have not believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, please do so today. Don't delay. This is your seal from God, the promised Holy Spirit that marks you as belonging to God by way of the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ as he did in Egypt by the blood of the Lamb that ensured that they would not be harmed by the death that would come upon Egypt as it would take the firstborn. They were preserved from that. And by way of God's deliverance, he took them out of that oppression into a promised land. And this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he has marked us as his own, that death no longer has power over us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It has none. When we are in Christ Jesus, though we may graduate from this vessel, we simply graduated to another vessel, an eternal vessel, to be with Jesus Christ our Lord forever and ever. I mean, this this is the the gospel message. So here, another aspect of this is we now look to verses four to eleven. I don't, I know we're not going to cover all that here today, uh, but now we're going to look at the variety and diversity in the church, and that happens as a result of spiritual gifts. So we're going to look at uh, three aspects of this, the source of our gifts, the goal of our gifts, and the distribution of our gifts. So let's read here verses 4 to 6 of 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we see the source of our gifts is from the triune God. Here he says, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, all at work delivering these gifts and working through us as vessels for God's holy purposes. I mean, think about it, that God walked the Garden of Eden with Adam. In the cool of the day, he walked on this soil And then sin enters the equation. God no longer walks on the soil. In fact, when God has a dialogue with Moses at Mount Sinai, the entire top of the mountain is scorched by the presence of God. He is that pure and holy. No man can even look at his face and live, scriptures tell us. So again, with the toxicity of sin that has now corrupted this world, this fallen state of the world, God then occupied the Ark of the Covenant so that he could be with his people, all as a foreshadowing of what God would do through us by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. We would become like the Ark of the Covenant on two legs. 
So now there's millions of arcs of the covenant where God is present in the affairs of men. I mean, think about it. How many arcs of the covenant there are just in Colorado Springs then by way of the believers who are now temples of the Holy Spirit carrying God into places of business, into various churches, and all sorts of activities. Imagine the sphere of influence then. God is everywhere as he is working through his people. He chooses to work through us. Therefore, anything good that comes out of us is because God has already foreseen, predetermined, selected you. You are a chosen people to carry him into doing his work across this globe. It is a powerful thing when you you really just get your arms around that, that God would choose you and allow you to be his instrument, his vessel, his conduit of his great and mighty works. So Paul tells the Corinthians that there's not a single gift or even one size fits all out of these gifts that are given. Okay, there's not one size fits all. I mean, Paul is using the word translated as different gifts here or varieties three times because God loves variety. I mean, think about every snowflake, every fingerprint, every leaf on a tree, even every grain of sand. They all seem so different. I mean, they're same, but different. I mean, look at our eyes. Our eyes are so different. Every pattern. God is just amazing in how he creates variety, even with billions of numbers. He never makes an exact replica, it seems. We're all unique. I love God and how he does this. So God says we're wonderfully different from one another. You just read Psalm 139, verse 14. And he encourages diversity in his church by gifting each one of us uniquely for ministry. So in spite of this variety, believers are united by the same God. It's the same God that brings us all together despite all of this variety. I mean, this is the God who created the rainbow. I mean, you think about all the different millions of types of of creatures out there. And some of them we think are so insignificant, we just step around them. We don't even acknowledge them. And yet God in his diversity, and he does this with his gifts too. So there may be the same gift that is executed in different ways. Listen to this. This is what uh, Pastor Chuck Smith had to say on this subject. As a, as a Calvary Chapel church, uh, we, we love to just refer back to some of the old teachings there of Pastor Chuck Smith. Here's what he said. He said, so even with the diversities of gifts, then there are diversities of the operations of that gift. I may possess a certain gift of the Spirit, and you may possess the same gift of the Spirit, but it may operate in my life differently than it operates in your life. I mean, one thing about God is that He will not be pigeonholed by us. He refuses to be conformed to our patterns and to our mindsets. He allows Himself that liberty of working as He wills and as He desires. It doesn't always follow my patterns. Therefore, it is wrong to seek to receive the same kind of an experience that someone else receives. God may work differently in your life. A mistake that we often make when we hear a person give a glorious testimony of how they receive some gift of the Spirit in their life is that they, we think that, oh, that's the way it's supposed to happen. So they try to look for some kind of sensation, the same kind of feelings as some other people. The same experience is what they're seeking. And it, it can sometimes describe these things so vividly, and we think that that becomes the cookie cutter for how this is supposed to go. And then they start using some some uh, very dramatic experience that, that that's what we hunger for instead of the gift. 
He says, it was under my truck that you may hear somebody say something like this. I was under my truck working on the transmission and I began to get this warm feeling that started at the top of my head and it was just like it came down on my my side and through my whole body and I was tingling this way and that way. And then they go on and on. And so someone else hears this and they've been waiting upon God and they say, oh Lord, I, I want to receive more of your spirit. And they wait for this warm glow to start start at the top of their head and, and then nothing happens and they wait and wait and don't get this warm glow and think, well, maybe another night uh, because they're, they're looking to imitate someone else's experience or sensations. But, but all of us relate to God in our own ways. And God relates to us in His own way. And our experiences can vary dramatically, though we do not have and can be exercising, though we, I should say, we do have and can be exercising the same gift of the Spirit simultaneously. So th- the way it works in me is different than the way it works in you. The sensations that I may feel, if any, would be different from the sensations that you may feel. Thus, thus we should not be trying to receive some experience or predicate the fact that I have received that experience because I've had a warm glow or felt a bath or, or felt like this or felt like that. I mean, the faith should never be in the feelings that I receive because I may not have any feelings at all that I can describe. And all I've got is pure faith in the promises of God. And I've got God's word. And I stand upon the word of God. The same with salvation. Some people describe those marvelous feelings when they receive Jesus Christ. So people are looking for some kind of feeling rather than just taking the word of God at face value. God has said it. He has promised it. I put my faith in the word and the promise of God and establish it there. And it's important that our faith be established in the Word because it doesn't change when our feelings do. You see, my feelings can change radically from today to tomorrow morning, but the Word of God doesn't change. So when my faith is established upon the Word, then I have a solid relationship. And diversity of gifts can occur, but it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, and of course, here you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that's indicated in that. I mean, each member of the triune nature of God, the Trinity, that is responsible for these spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. The Lord Jesus places people in ministry, and God the Father empowers people to do the ministry. So in light of these biblical truths, there's three responses. First, you should desire what the spiritual gift is that the Holy Spirit has given you. We, we just think that, oh, no, no, I'm not one of those who's received a, a spiritual gift. When the Greek word for gifts here is harismaton, haris, or charis. Some have said charis. Uh, so different ways of saying that Greek word. But that part of the word here, it's, what it means is grace. And, and the ma portion of the word is a passive suffix, meaning that it's a grace given. Okay, so it's a passive suffix that means a grace given. They're grace gifts and enables a person to glorify and serve God. Okay, so words change over time. The, the term uh, charismatic once was based in this core terminology, but today the word now seems to represent an affiliation, like some sort of religious movement or some form of exercising a trait that is compelling or attractive that inspires other people. But these grace gifts are not earned. They're not the result of hard work. They're, they're not even ones we choose for ourselves. They may or may not even be related to our natural skill set. So we have to remember, God has not gifted you to do what you want to do. He's gifted you to do what he wants you to do. So these grace gifts that God has chosen for you in his sovereignty 
is to grant you these expressions that fulfill his mighty purposes. They're expressions of his love. So in the exercise of your spiritual gifts from God, you will find fulfillment. So Paul exhibited many gifts. He had the gift of apostleship, of prophecy, of teaching tongues, evangelism and leadership, all evidenced by the work done by God through him. And I don't believe they were all given at once. The Spirit gave to him what was needed at just the right times. And that's why the question often comes up, what is my spiritual gift? And that's an important one. So unless we know the answer, we'll never be 100% effective in our service to Christ. And you may spend your life doing something for which you were not gifted by God. And often then you start to feel frustrated and ineffective. And it's sort of like taking one of those big offensive linemen and then putting him out as a wide receiver. Okay, he can't run and his hands are like bricks, but put him on, a, on the left guard position and he's right at home because he was born to knock someone on their backside. Okay, so in the same way, some people throw up when they're forced to go door-to-door and witness or, or to stand before somebody in public and speak. Okay, they're just so uncomfortable with that. They're not, they may not be gifted in that. Maybe they're not gifted in evangelism. But you put that same person in a finance area because they have a gift of administration, and they're incredibly successful. Okay, so there are others who, who could never get up and teach a class, but they know how to lead a small group because they have the gift of pastoring, but maybe not teaching. And still others work behind the scenes, caring for the sick, bringing over meals, comforting those in sorrow. They have the gift of mercy, but don't ask them to speak in public, okay? So, so the very thought might make them break out in hives, okay? So it, it takes time to discover these things as you mature in your faith. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you're even curious about it at all, contact us at calvaryfountain.com. I had the privilege of working at Focus on the Family for many years. We developed a spiritual gifts assessment, and that team then spun off into its own separate ministry, and it's called The Call Online, okay? And it examines the spiritual gifts that are outlined in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and even here in 1 Corinthians 12, and also highlighted in 1 Corinthians 14. So it looks at all of these variables. It's almost like a Myers-Briggs for discovering your spiritual gifts. Very effective. We've used it for our leadership and, and our graduating seminary teams, and it's very effective. So I highly encourage it. Reach out to us at Calvary fountain.com. We're going to have to pause here today. We're going to pick up our study next week. So I hope you've been encouraged. You can learn more again at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are now on Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., all for in-person services. Of course, we still broadcast live at 10 a.m. on Sundays. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week.